Hello and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman and today I'm going to be checking on my predictions for the most adopted cards from The Lord of the Rings and sharing my thoughts on which new cards from Wilds of Eldraine are going to see the most play in Commander. But before I jump in, I want to briefly talk about my Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help me out by rating or reviewing the show wherever you get your podcasts. All right, with that, let's go over the predictions for The Lord of the Rings. The top 10 most played cards, uh, as predicted by me and Zach in the last episode, in no particular order, I suppose. Boromir, Warden of the Tower. That's the three mana white creature that sacrifices to get tempted by the ring and give all your creatures indestructible until end of turn. Gandalf the White, the five mana white four five legendary creature avatar wizard with flash. You may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. And if a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Also on the list, Mirkwood Bats. Three and a black for a two three creature bat with flying. Whenever you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses one life. Also, Orcish Bowmasters. One and a black for a one one creature orc archer with flash. When Orcish Bowmasters enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target. Then amass orcs one. Next on that list was Fiery Inscription. Two and a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you get tempted by the ring, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it deals two damage to each opponent. At number six, we had Spiteful Banditry. That's X red red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to each creature, and whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Next on our list was Delighted Halfling. That's a single green mana for a 1-2 creature halfling citizen. Taps to add a colorless, and also taps to add one mana of any color. You can spend that mana only to cast a legendary spell, and that spell can't be countered. Number 8 on our list was Entish Restoration. 2 and a green for an instant. Sacrifice a land, search your library for up to 2 basic land cards, put them on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. If you control a creature with power 4 or greater, instead search your library for up to 3 basic land cards, put them on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Number nine on our list was Mithril Coat. Three mana for a legendary artifact equipment with flash and indestructible. When it enters the battlefield, attach it to target legendary creature you control. Equipped creature has indestructible and it has equipped for three. Finally, uh, the 10th card on our list was the One Ring. That's four mana for a legendary artifact with indestructible. When the One Ring enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each bird encounter on the one ring. And tap, put a bird encounter on the one ring, then draw a card for each bird encounter on the one ring. So let's compare those 10 predictions to the actual top 10. So the number one most adopted card from the Lord of the Rings was the one ring with 55,000 decks on EDH rec. Number two was Delighted Halfling with 45,000 decks on EDH rec. Number three was Mirkwood Bats with 44,000 decks on EDH Rec. 
And number four was Orcish Bowmasters with 43,000 decks on EDH Rec. Number five was Mithril Coat with 36,000 decks. And number six was Minas Tirith. This found its way into 33,000 decks on EDH Rec, and it's a legendary land that enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It taps for a white, and it has one in a white tap, draw a card. Activate only if you attacked with two or more creatures this turn. Number seven was Entish Restoration. Number eight was Rivendell, which is a legendary land that enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It taps for blue, and it has one in a blue tap, scry two. Activate only if you control a legendary creature. Number nine was Call of the Ring. This is one in a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, the ring tempts you. And whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life. If you do, draw a card. Finally, the tenth most adopted card from the Lord of the Rings was Flowering of the White Tree. This was white-white for a legendary enchantment. Legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and have ward one. And non-legendary creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So let's talk a bit about where those differences arose from. First, uh, I'm going to cover the cards that made it into the top ten that we did not predict. And then I'll go into the cards that we thought would do well that didn't end up having a showing. Minas Tirith and Rivendell aren't huge surprises. Um, It's relatively low opportunity cost to put a new land in your deck. And these were the two we identified as being the strongest of the cycle of five legendary lands in the Lord of the Rings. Both drawing a card and scrying two are pretty good bargain on a land. And it looks like the community doesn't care that much about the, the, the fact that they potentially enter the battlefield tapped, which is not too surprising given that almost every commander deck is going to have access to at least one legendary creature. To, to help them meet that requirement. Call of the Ring is a little bit more surprising in that it doesn't seem like a generally useful card, but it is not in good stuff decks that this card is being used. Where it's really seeing play is in decks that reference the ring. For example, Smeagol Helpful Guide, Frodo Sauron's Bane, Sauron the Dark Lord, uh, even cards that reference it more tangentially like Sauron the Necromancer or Golem Patient Plotter. All of these tend to play Call the Ring in more than 50% of their decks. Uh, and, and some of them, the concentration is, is much higher. 91% of Smeagol decks run Call of the Ring. 88% of Frodo decks run Call of the Ring. So even though it isn't a card that is generally useful in Commander, it's seeing enormous adoption among the more popular commanders from the set. With Flowering of the White Tree, uh, that one's a little more surprising. It's not actually seeing huge adoption in the Legendary Matters cards that we saw in Dominaria United. For example, it's not being played in huge amounts in um, Jota the Unifier lists. But if you look at its page, Flowering of the White Tree is largely... Uh, seeing play in decks built around characters from Lord of the Rings. So it might be that it's um, sort of being used as an in-universe upgrade for some of these decks 
I think that there are a lot of people out there that are trying to focus on just using Lord of the Rings cards to build around their commanders from Lord of the Rings. Flowering of the White Tree makes sense in that context as something that might not be the best anthem or or exactly the card your deck wants, but within the the limited pool of Lord of the Rings cards, uh, it it certainly looks a lot more appealing. All right, really quickly going to cover the the cards that we predicted would show up in the top 10 that didn't end up there. Uh, Boromir Ward in the Tower was one that uh, I was really high on when we were making our predictions for this set. And it's not actually that far down the rankings. Uh, Boromir Ward in the Tower is in the number 12 position with 20,000 decks, almost 21,000. So clearly this this is a card that people are interested in. I mean, it's not quite as good as some of the other options out there. It, For example, Selfless Spirit. But it is certainly a strong card, and I think the community has recognized that. It just didn't quite make it into that that top echelon. Uh, Gandalf the White is, in contrast, uh, not something that has seen nearly as much adoption. Uh, That's far down the rankings, and it's only in 8,000 decks as of the time of recording. So I think that was one we that Zach and I were definitely less confident about. It, it looks like it is mostly being played in some Lord of the Rings decks, but it's not seeing really a lot of adoption in the broader format. Kind of a shame that it isn't like doing quite as well, even in like legendary matters lists. Fiery inscription is one that is definitely more puzzling. Um, it is relatively far down the rankings. It's currently seeing play in 14,502 decks on EDH rec. Doesn't done terribly, but not really seeing as much adoption as we were expecting, given how popular gutter snipe is, which is the, the closest analog. If you look at sort of where it's seeing play, it is it is seeing play in like some older spell slinger type lists. Uh, some Solfim Mayhem Dominus lists, some Torwaki the Younger lists. But it's seeing the most adoption in uh, decks built around Lord of the Rings commanders. And I think this might just be an unwillingness for people to put Lord of the Rings cards into their regular decks. Uh, I think people are still a little bit concerned about crossing the streams and like maintaining the aesthetic purity of their lists. So I can see why this might have underperformed relative to its power level, because it is certainly an upgrade over Gutter Snipe. All right, finally, uh, Spiteful Banditry. This is one that we were not highly confident about when we were doing our predictions. Um, This is relatively far down the rankings. And I think it's... It has, uh, it's currently seeing play in 11,000 decks on EDH rec, but is mostly seeing play in Lord of the Rings lists. Again, I think this is sort of the same problem where people might be unwilling to put it in non Lord of the Rings decks. And also it, it is not an incredibly powerful card. 
red decks don't tend to be as interested in most of the like X cost board wipes. They just don't see nearly as much adoption as say like blasphemous act red decks don't tend to run a lot of wrath. They don't tend to take on a controlling role as much. So there might just not have been like a real place in the format for this card. Unfortunately, six out of 10 Lord of the Rings predictions were correct. Not bad, a passing grade at least, but hopefully we can do better this time. So now I'm going to highlight 10 cards from Wilds of Eldraine that I think have a good shot of making it into the top 10 of the set on EDH rec. So number one on my list is Moonshaker Cavalry. This, of course, is the white crater of Behemoth. It's five white, white, white for a 6-6 six, six flying spirit knight. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain flying and get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. For each of these cards, I'm going to give like pros or cons if there are any. Sort of talk about both sides for why it might or might not show up in the most adopted cards in the set. The pro for Moonshaker Cavalry is that there definitely is an appetite for white finishers. Uh, Chroma's Will is in 124,000 decks on EDH rec. True Conviction is in 40,000 decks. So people want to be able to end the game in their whitelists. But the major con, as I've stressed before, is that Moonshaker Cavalry isn't as good in white as Craterhoof is in green because you can't easily tutor it out and you can't easily ramp into it. Eight mana is, I think, uh, more of a challenge for white decks. All right, number two on my list is Stroke of Midnight. Stroke of Midnight is two and a white for an instant. Destroy target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a 1-1 white human creature token. So the obvious point of comparison is Generous Gift, which is in 349,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, I didn't put any cons down for this one. I think this is the closest thing to a slam dunk in my predictions. All right, number three on my list, perhaps an obscure one. This is actually a Jumpstart exclusive, but it's Fairy Slumber Party. Four blue-blue for a sorcery. Return all creatures to their owner's hands. For each opponent who controlled a creature returned this way, you create two 1-1 blue fairy creature tokens with flying, and this creature can only block creatures with flying. So I actually like the card a fair bit. Um, And a, a pro for this card is that Whelming Wave is in 36,000 decks on EDH rec, um, and this is likely to make a 4-6 to six guys pretty much whenever you cast it. So it controls the board to an extent. It's a great addition to the fairy decks that we're sure to see plenty of with the printing of the fairy precon. Um, the con for this is 6 is more mana than most people are, are used to paying for board wipe. And this card is a jumpstart exclusive, so it's not very visible for most players. If you're just planning to build a deck based on like buying the precon and then buying some boosters to, to get cards to upgrade it or something, then you're just not going to see Fairy Slumber Party. It's a, it's a card you really have to be going out of your way to find. It's, it's something you're not going to spot easily unless you're doing Scryfall searches, unless you're like ordering singles. So that could be a knock against it. 
All right, number four on my list is Virtue of Knowledge. So this is four and a blue for an enchantment. If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And it comes with an adventure. Vantress Visions is one and a blue for an instant adventure. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. So the pro for this one is Panharmonicon is in 132,000 decks on EDH rec, and this triggers off of more permanent types. The con is, of course, that it has a more narrow color identity than Panharmonicon, and it does cost one more mana. Um, that being said, it is also a less vulnerable card type, and it has a way to uh, get you some additional value for less mana before you cast it. So I like this card. I think it has a decent shot. I think people really enjoy these types of effects. Next on my list is Beseech the Mirror. One black, black, black for a sorcery with bargain, which means you can sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast the spell. Search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost if that spell's mana value is four or less. Put the exiled card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way. That Diabolic Tutor is in 123,000 decks on EDH rec, and Beseech the Mirror is much better. The con is, of course, that Diabolic Tutor costs less than a dollar to buy, whereas Beseech is over $30 right now. That may impair success in the format, but it's also possible that the lists that are being scraped by EDH rec may not be taking budget into account. We'll see. We've seen um, expensive cards do well previously, and this is certainly like one of the more visible constructed shots in the set, so I think people are aware of it. Number six on my list is Unruly Catapult. Two and a red for a 0-4 artifact creature construct. It has Defender and it has Tap. Unruly Catapult deals one damage to each opponent. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, untap Unruly Catapult. So my pro is that it kind of looks like a Thermo Alchemist, and Thermo Alchemist is in 39,000 decks on EDH rec. The con, of course, is that this is one more card type than Thermo Alchemist, which means it's more vulnerable, and it's also one more mana. So I assume that people don't add this to their spell slinger decks until they've already added, say, like Fiery Inscription, Gutter Snipe, and Thermo Alchemist. You kind of have to like go down the list of these types of cards until you get to Unruly Catapult. So really, it's, it's for the decks that are looking for critical mass and are willing to pay three mana for it. I think there, there's some headwinds for this card, potentially. Uh, number seven on my list is Song of Totentons. X red for a sorcery. Create X 1-1 one, one black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Pro for this card, it's a very good rate on a token generator. And it has the secret option of just being one mana, all your creatures gain haste until end of turn. Which I've cast it for that. It is certainly relevant and may come up in games. The con... Uh, is that the tokens can't block and they aren't goblins because there's certainly a lot of token decks in red that have goblin synergies. Unfortunately, Song of Totentons doesn't really help in that regard. All right, number eight on my list is Virtue of Courage. Enchantment for three red red. 
Whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, you may exile that many cards from the top of your library. You may play those cards this turn. It also has an adventure. Embereth Blaze is one in a red for an instant adventure, and it deals two damage to any target. The pro for this one is that it's it's certainly a powerful card advantage engine in the right deck. Having had the chance to see it played in a couple games, it does really do incredible things if your archetype supports it, if your commander supports it. The con is that there just may not be a lot of the right decks looking to run this. Non-combat damage isn't something that naturally happens a lot. You really have to be running a specific commander to, to get this to go off. But once you do, it is, of course, very, very powerful. Number nine on my list is Virtue of Strength. This is five green green for an enchantment. If you tap a basic land for mana, it produces three times as much of that mana instead. And it has an adventure, Garenbrig Growth is a single green mana for a sorcery adventure. Return target creature or land card from your graveyard to your hand. Pros for this card, it looks like a Nyxbloom Ancient or a Mana Reflection. Nyxbloom Ancient is in 66,000 decks on EDH rec. Mana Reflection is in 28,000 decks on EDH rec. The con is, of course, that uh, it only benefits you if you're running a lot of basics. And the better your mana base is, the worse the card gets. Personally, I think it's very strong in monocolor lists, pretty strong in two-color decks with the right builds, um, and then gets very weak once you're down to three-plus colors. So that may limit its adoption, but it is the type of card that people really enjoy. All right, finally, number 10 on my list is Kellen the Fey-Blooded. Kellen is two and a red for a 2-2 legendary creature human fairy. He has double strike, and other creatures you control get plus one plus O for each aura and equipment attached to Kellen the Fayblooded. He also has an adventure. Birthright Boon is a sorcery adventure, and it searches your library for an aura or equipment card, makes you reveal it, and then you can put it in your hand and shuffle. Easiest point of comparison, Fighter Class is in 29,000 decks on EDH rec. That's uh, the two-minute enchantment. That when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for an equipment, put it in your hand, and shuffle. Kellen is arguably a stronger card than than Fighter Class. It gets auras, which can be offensive. You know, you can get a Heliod's Punishment, you can get a Dark Steel Mutation, whereas equipment are are really only going to be for like enhancing your guys. Kellen also sort of provides a vehicle for your whatever aura or equipment you get. Whereas with fighter class, you're still reliant on drawing something that can make use of the sword or whatever you're dropping into play. Kellen seems like a great card. He comes at a good rate, and I would expect him to to see a fair bit of adoption. Those are the 10 predictions. Just overall, I want to say that I think Wilds of Eldraine is a relatively weak set. It was a challenge to fill out 10 cards that I, I think are going to see a lot of play in Commander. So it might be trickier to figure out the the top 10 of this set than for a set with like a lot of power and in this case there's like five maybe less than five cards i feel very confident about and a bunch i'm not so sure on but we'll see how it shakes out when the next major release comes around and i I come in with the predictions for that set with that i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons 
They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Riddle, Carl, Oscar, Danaby, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Carey, Stephen, The Longs, Vincent, Maceo, Dylan, Cameron, Icy Wiener, Aiden, Scott, 16 Bitcoin, Alex, Andreas, Brian, Christian, and Cass. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs>